The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina. I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleina Hour, the Power of Water. I'm Sharon Kleina. Almost seven years ago, I decided to have my own radio talk show, and they said, would you like to have your own show? And I said, yes. And I'm going to call it the Power of Water. This planet Earth exists because of water. Billions of years ago, there began that amazing miracle of water on the planet we call in modern times now, through all these years, Earth. Earth is is in the universe of of a, a planet with this amazing blue ball. And it's water. Everything came from water. Everything. You can go over to the most beautiful flower, and in that flower, uh, it's like a fuchsia, and you look at all those petals and all those colors and the leaves, and you go down to another flower, another tree, or the blade of grass, or the animals and human life, and all there, it's water. Now, something that are, for some reason, since the 1800s, late 1800s, we forgot about another, the other part of the water. We have freshwater streams, lakes, rivers on the surface of the planet with an ocean. But we can't, we can't live and survive drinking ocean water the way it is. It's fresh water. That's the miracle to our lives. Fresh water. It's a solvent. But there's another water that has been forgotten, that became part of my research and the reason I'm the founder of Biologic Aqua Research. The atmosphere you're living in, the moisture in the air, the water vapor. You're swimming in water. It's invisible, but it's there. And when the rain comes down, it pulls all that moisture out of the air and the rain droplets come down. And then when, all, when the rain stops, the moisture is back into the air Again, the way it was. Atmosphere. Now, I'm going to, every show from now on, I'm going to do this. Some of you that listen to the show quite frequently may get a little bored, but you might start hearing something you hadn't heard before, who knows. But the water content of your body, the moment you were born and you entered into that, wherever you were born at, that location, at that spot, You left a pocket of water. You entered into the atmosphere to live. That's what keeps you alive. That's your number one moment of life, is that atmosphere is there to keep you alive with the moisture that is there, the humidity, the water vapor. 
Now, your body is this. The brain is 80 to 85% water. Teeth are 8 to 10% water. Lungs are 75 to 80% water. Your heart is 70 to 80% water. Your liver is 70 to 75% water. <clears throat> Excuse me. Your bones, 20 to 25% water. Your skin, 70 to 75% water. Kidneys, 80 to 85% water. Blood, 50% water. Muscles, 70 to 75% water. And something that even this chart doesn't have on it, your eyes. The surface of your eyes are 99% water. So when that eyelid is open, you're depending upon the water vapor of the air for vision health, the health of your vision. Vision impairment is loss of water to cause dry eye to eventually go to blindness. If you have a dehydration happening within your body, and it's dehydration from the moment you were born until the moment you're gone that causes you to live to die. That's your, that's your evolution. That is your life. Now, when I say there's five things that are vital for your health, and that's why this show is on the air, is to remind us about the water crisis around the world, and I'm a water advocate, and I'm very proud of it, that you need to learn how to breathe in and out, no different than the ocean goes in and out with a tide of breath. You need to breathe every day how to learn to breathe for you personally because there's no two eyes alike, no two fingerprints alike. Everybody's dehydrating differently. Everybody's living in the atmosphere with a difference. We all have a little different look. Did you notice that? So we all have this uniqueness. So when you're breathing, breathe in, breathe out. Then you wonder how to relieve stress, how to relieve pain. If you have pain, You can relieve it with proper brazing. Number two, drinking water. Eight to ten glasses a day are vital. Nothing added to it. It'll block absorption. You have over 300 trillion cells they're finding out in there. Those cells need to be nourished, detoxified, and water is a solvent. It helps push toxins through the skin. You need to drink the water. It's vital. And remember those lungs I just told you, 70 to 85, 80% water? How many people do you know that went to the hospital with one symptom and passed away with pneumonia? The lungs. You weren't drinking enough water. Number three, nutrition is vital. We're learning in technology new ideas of nutrition. It is exciting. Get more of dark green vegetables, uh, fresh fruit, the salads, everything you eat has to be digested. If you cheat that day and you go out and you have something that's so delicious and you know you just cheated, you probably shouldn't have had it, well, the next day start live a, a little more healthier diet. So don't cheat every day. The other one is moderate exercise. It is very important to your existence. Athletes, that are out there exercising, that have to push it, push it, push it. Learn how to balance your, your exercise so you don't over-dehydrate. Get the proper breathing. Get the proper drinking water. Learn how your nutrition is vital to be not dehydrating out of control. The last one is sleeping. Earth does it. 
Earth goes to sleep, you need to learn how to sleep. Learn that when you're going to bed, don't just take, put your head on the pillow and say, now I'm going to sleep. Learn how you as an individual can slow your dehydration down during the day. Learn how to detoxify and learn how to sleep and rest. It's vital. Now, uh, the other one is, when I, at the show, I'd like you to go over to your website and go to your, if you have a Facebook account, type in uh, what I, you need to know about water. Learn that, for example, type in what I need to learn about water. Then type in on some of your other search engines, type in uh, fun facts about drinking water. Then go over to some other things is the water crisis. Go over to the water crisis and check out some of the latest things that are going on in Africa. Now, we have an Ebola problem in the United States, and I don't call it a panic. I don't think they're over-panicking anybody. I think you need to learn more about what causes your viruses. I think you need to learn more about your common cold, your allergies, and your everyday living. You need to learn. If we have, they have to keep you reminded about the Ebola problem, don't worry about it's a panic or a people are getting out of control. They're not. People need to be reminded. How many of you listening, I don't care if you're a scientist, remind yourself every day you're a walking sponge and that you need to drink. We need to be reminded. We're, we're all in a pace. We have these babies being born across the world. The babies that were born this in a day, just recently, it was 135,935 just in the United States. In the world, the babies that were born the last year were 105,999,845 new babies in a year. They all need the breath of life to drink the water have proper nutrition, which takes agricultural water to grow the crops. So just remember that baby being born, and there are new babies every day, and are they precious? The thing is, they need what you need, but you need to be the teacher. I want you to start following me on my Facebook and my Twitter and, uh, and go to my website, SharonKleinHour.com. We are going to do this together. We are going to worldwide work with the water crisis as advocates, and we will learn what we need to do in technology where the earth does not become the moon, the sun, and the rest of the planets that we're finding out, Mars, that has no sign of water at the surface. It doesn't mean it's not below the surface. We're not sure, but you need to learn. You are a walking sponge. The earth needs the water to live. Remember this show, The Power of Water. Remind your friends to come in and listen because we are on the harvesting path. We're going to harvest this. We're going to do it together. And are we going to be the winners throughout the world? Today we have a very exciting show. I was really looking forward to it. We have Art Bernstein who has been with me as my writer for many years. He's author and a naturalist. He's written many of Art Bernstein hiking books. 
but he's got a, he's out of Gold Hill, Oregon, here in Southern Oregon. But he's got a new guy with him that I'm really excited that's probably going to become very, very well known throughout the country, Zach Ernest. Zach is an outdoor writer for the Statesman Journal Media out of Salem, Oregon. They wrote a new book together, and it's going to be kind of fun to hear about the new book, Hiking in Southern Oregon, where I'm in Southern Oregon. I live in Grants Pass, Oregon. I'm a born Oregonian. Southern Oregon is one of the most beautiful places on the planet. Whenever I travel and do personal appearances or out there running around, people will say, I'll say, have you ever been to Oregon? He said, they say, Oregon? No, but I've always wanted to go. I've heard how beautiful the trees and all the lakes and Crater Lake and all the streams. It's so, I've heard it's so beautiful. And I say, yes, it is so beautiful. I kiss the trees. It is that beautiful. But we're going to listen to our sponsor before we listen to Zach and Art. Nature's tears I missed with just a mist. Dry eye does lead to blindness. Nature's Tears Eye Mist is the only product worldwide to supplement the atmosphere to provide you that supplementation to slow down that dry eye problem. We'll listen to our sponsor with Just a Mist, and we'll be back with Art and Zach. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Listening to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinerHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinerHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Art, are you with us? I'm with us. Art? Yes. Zach? Yes, I'm with you. We have Art here in Grants Pass, Oregon, and we have Zach in Salem, Oregon, joining us. And I was really looking forward to the show today. And before we begin, Art, you've been writing hiking books for how many years? Since the mid-80s. Okay, and how many uh, have you written? Uh, almost uh, 30 years. And how many have you written? I think 17 or 18. Okay. And are they mostly Including about... the book of uh, short stories about hiking called Weird Hikes. Okay, and, <laughs> and, and uh, you've... Uh, have you concentrated on your focus in Oregon and Northern California? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. The whole state of Oregon and Northern California. Now, you uh, and Zach joined uh, a relationship to write a book together. And before I talk to Zach, tell me how, how that began. 
I'm getting old. Uh, I'm 71, and I was starting having problems with my hips, so I couldn't go hiking anymore. And I had a really good deal with the best, the biggest book publisher of hiking, regional hiking guides and outdoor recreation books in the United States, uh, Falcon Guides. And I didn't want to give that up. And I had been watching Zach's work, and he, I become friends with him uh, because he called me up whenever he needed information about hiking. So I asked him if he wanted to co-author the next edition with me and then uh, take it over after that. Mm-hmm. And he said yes, and that was the best decision I ever made. I think so, too. Yeah. And Zach, uh, how did you get, to, is that how you got to know Art? You were calling him up. You worked with the Grants Pass Courier in Grants Pass, right? Yeah, that's correct. And um, and Art was, I, I had a, a copy of his book. Um, and whenever I needed, you know, an outdoor story or something like that, I would, you know, I'd look into his book. And um, uh-huh. people and people in the office had his, his contact information. And so he was just the guy who I would ask about, you know, any question I have, he would have the answer to. Mm-hmm. And tell us what you were doing at the Grants Pass Career as a writer. What did you, what, what, what was your specialty? Um, well, I, I was originally hired as a sports writer, uh, believe it or not. I actually started with the ambition of being a baseball beat writer, but um, a lot of uh, sports sections uh, also have an outdoor section, and uh, so I kind of just took that over because, you know, I love the outdoors uh, to begin with. You know, I grew up with it, and um, it just became easier uh, to do these trips. I would do um, long hikes, uh, mountain climbs, uh, river trips and stuff like that, and just write columns about it um, for Mm -hmm. our outdoor page. And those ended up becoming more popular than the the sports writing I was doing. And so uh, (laughs) the Daily Courier, uh, which is just a wonderful uh, newspaper, um, they gave me, you know, I I ended up splitting the time between uh, covering Uh outdoors and and sports. And um, now I work at the Statesman Journal and do outdoors full time. Um, So it's really been kind of a fun turn of events. Turned out to be an exciting happening. Now, uh, I know John Voorhees really well, and yeah. uh, I can imagine uh, they m- missed losing you to go to the Salem area. <laughs> yeah, and it was, it was such a hard decision. I mean, I was really close to, to buying a house in, in Grants Pass, but I, you know, I really had a passion for um, you know, covering the outdoors and, and covering the right. environment and state lands. And you know, the Statesman Journal just came to me with basically a, a dream job offer uh, to right. be able to cover the entire state because uh, I was focused right. on Southern Oregon and Northern California, and it was just it was such a good offer that like it was basically the only right. thing that would have got me out of Southern Oregon. And he would be John Voorhees' family have owned the Courier forever, and he is such a wonderful guy. He'd be excited for you. I'm kind of la- uh, teasing you a little bit for you to <laughs> advance your on. And it's always fun to have somebody move to Grants Pass that wants to advance the career and uh, opportunities of ambition. Now, tell us about you, uh, Zach. Where did you come? Where did you come to to move in Grants Pass? Uh, well, the fun thing about newspapers is it kind of takes you uh, everywhere. I actually grew up in uh, Minnesota and uh, spent, oh. my, spent my childhood a lot in northern Minnesota, up in the mm-hmm. kind of the, the Great Lakes region around the Boundary Waters. Um, but I took mm-hmm. a lot of trips to uh, western Montana uh, mm-hmm. growing up, and my first job was actually at a tiny in a tiny town uh, called Polson, Montana. That's right on Flathead Lake. 
And uh, uh-huh. that was my first newspaper job. It was a tiny newspaper um, where, I, where I did everything. Um, you, mm-hmm. you know, you're the photographer, you're the yeah. news director, you're the reporter, you do everything. Right. And um, from there, uh, you know, I worked there for about a year and a half um, and then, uh, you know, was hired in, uh, in Grants Pass. Um, and mm-hmm. I was there for five years, uh, five wow. of the best years of my life, actually. Uh-huh. So then you got a, a, a well. You went from I, I'm gonna. I know the area of Montana you were in. Mm-hmm. Fly fishing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you went from that beautiful state called Montana and mm-hmm. their love for fly fishing and hunting and all that. But then you came over to Grants Pass and you met Art. Mm-hmm. And you two now have this book out. Mm-hmm. What is the name of the book, Zach? Well, it's called Hiking Southern Oregon um, and, you know, a guide to the greatest hiking adventures. And a cool thing about the book is that it covers all of Southern Oregon. And we, we mean that literally. Um, you know, we, we take in the southeastern um, mountains, you know, out Steens Mountain, uh, you know, Gerhard Mountain, um, really beautiful areas that not very many people travel to. Um, and then we take you all the way across the Cascades, um, you know, over Crater Lake, uh, into the Siskiyous, my favorite wilderness areas like the Red Buttes, the Siskiyou Wilderness, the Kalamiopsis, and then all the way out to the coast and the uh, and the Redwoods, and we finish up with uh, uh, Jedediah Smith Redwoods State Park. So, I mean, we take you from, you know, the deepest lake in the United States, the tallest trees in the world, um, and, you know, these gigantic you know, canyons and kind of the high desert area. And the Kalamopsis was the rainforest. For, you know, that story about the Kalamopsis, and correct me, what one time, Art, you would know, it had way back in time had 500 inches of rain in one year and uh, still is a, amazing. Uh, that would be closer to the Siskiyou Wilderness. Uh, there's a town okay. uh, between Grants Pass and Crescent City and the Redwoods called... G-A-S-Q-U-E-T, and it's pronounced gas key. Okay. The key to the gas tank. Um, one year in the early 80s, I think it was, they had uh, the most rainfall ever recorded on the United States mainland uh, in one year. It was on top of a nearby mountain called gas key mountain. So, mm-hmm. Anyway, but it's near, it's between the Kalmyopsis and the Siskiyou Wilderness. This is very close to both of them. Mm-hmm. And now, both of you, Zach and Art, the beauty of hiking is we're becoming a culture in this country and around the world who really want to get out and smell the freshness of our forests and our land to touch the soil. And as Art knows, Zach, my field has been studying the dehydration effects of what is happening to our planet. They call it drought. I don't. I call it dehydration of the bark, of the tree, of the limbs, uh, the, uh, the soil, the aquifers below there, and the, the ferns and the moss and the streams uh, are showing signs of uh, changing. And uh, as human life has, has more diseases, and yes, they're patching up those diseases temporarily, but they're still very severe, out-of-control dehydration problems for atmospheric impact on humans, but it's having an atmospheric impact on um, our life on Earth, of our nature life, of what was here before we were here. Um, when, you're, when you're out there with this hiking book, now I've seen the book audience. It's gorgeous. It's got the most beautiful pictures and descriptions and education and opportunities to smell that 
fresh atmosphere that I was talking about that is so important to your life is to breathe. As you're, those areas that Zach just described, you can come from all over the world and hike it if you like to hike. If you don't like to hike, if I, you could hike it. But also, I noticed, Zach, that it becomes a very exciting book to buy somebody just to let them know that there's a spot in Oregon that has these descriptions and these pictures and this beauty to offer. But when you've been running out there, what have you noticed, Zach, um, that has been changing? I know Art's been out there longer, too. Art, what have you noticing when you're hiking and you were writing the book and you were noticing everything so like a, a, a note and a music that you noticed that things were changing. Maybe, Art, you'd be a good one on this one. What is changing out there in your uh, writing the hiking books that you've noticed is happening? Uh, I think I've explained this to you before. Um, in the mid-'70s, there was a 10-year drought, and I noticed a whole bunch of changes then. Um, trees were dying, insect infestations, uh, all the... Trees in eastern Oregon uh, got gypsy moth, and you drive through miles and miles of defoliated trees, which all of them recovered, by the way. Um, lots of forest fires, and I noticed there, there's a species called a rabbit brush. Um, that's a, it's like semi-desert. And as the drought continued, the range of rabbit brush, you would start seeing rabbit brush in places that you never saw it before. Mountain meadows, and, and uh, it's very interesting. Um, now, is that because it was things were getting drier in the atmosphere? Yeah, yeah. it became yeah. more favorable. You know, the area that uh, rabbit grass could grow in became more grew enlarged, so uh, mm-hmm. the population of the rabbit brush uh, filled up the space. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Zach, on your with your quickly. book, <laughs> with your book now in your book, did you describe? Um, I know this is my world. Did you, did you by chance think to describe in your hiking book things for them to be looking for and to notice in the trees and, 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 and the species that are out in the forest? Did you mention that? Oh, sure. Um, and, and actually, that's, that's, that's sort of Art's specialty, too. Um, right. you know, he, he talked about me being you know, kind of the, the younger guy, and so I was able to, to get out there and do you know, some of the tougher hikes and stuff like that. But the book was definitely a foundation built on you know, what Art had created before. And mm-hmm. you know, one thing that he, Art is so great at, and he's much better than I am, um, at is, is really noticing you know, what kind of trees are you going to see on this hike? Um, you know, what's, the, mm-hmm. what's the geology? You know, what's the flora? Right. With the fauna, and so, you know, I would add onto that a little bit, but that that, that was definitely a, a art specialty and something I'm kind of in awe of, uh, of him and have been for a long time. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, because when people are hiking, uh, even if they've been hiking all over the world, when you go into a forest, Zach, I don't care which forest you choose to go in, there's always going to be no different than two humans are so different. The forests have a, a difference. Life on Earth has a difference based on the atmosphere it's growing in. And uh, when I heard Art just mention now, too, about the insects and, and what happens with the, the, the old growth and any new growth and what is happening with forest fires, and there's, there's things for education there where people can learn what is happening to the species and, and the location and the atmospheric conditions. 
have, I have a little more to say about the changes that I've observed. I wasn't quite done. So, Can I continue for just a minute here? Sure. Go ahead. Is that okay? Uh, okay. So it was a drought in the 70s. Um, and into the mid-80s, and then the drought went away, and everything settled down for a while, and then it came back a few years ago. Uh, 1997 was the snowiest year in history in southern Oregon. Uh, you couldn't get into the high mountain trailheads until early August and late July. And uh, it was incredible. It was amazing. Um, what I'm noticing now that we're into an extended drought and California is having all the worst drought in its history. The changes don't seem to be as severe as they were in the 70s. I don't notice, you know, I could be dead wrong. Uh, it could be that scientists, you know, just would, would totally disprove everything I say. But my own observation is that um, the impact isn't as severe. I don't see trees dying like they were in the 70s. And it might be because they adapted in the 70s. I don't know. Uh, also, as far as uh, water, uh, it's very uneven. We drove up the South Fork of the Sacramento, and it was bone dry. It was a major river coming down from high mountains, bone dry. Uh, yet the, the Shasta River and the Scott River are fine. Water flow is, you know, just only slightly below normal. So it is just real uneven. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. Well, what might be happening there, you know, both of you, is there's a hydraulic below there in the aquifers. Yeah that is filling up the void, uh, let's say almost maybe temporarily. Could it keep doing it? Probably not. But again, uh, underneath our planet with all of this water, and there is a lot of water under there. And there's no doubt in my mind that that water influences in in that big blue ball and and those cavities and there's a lot of influence going on under there. And then when there's earthquakes and there's storms and the certain things that are happening out in the ocean and the depths, they're also triggering um, some unknown things that I don't know. Uh, that yeah. might And uh, groundwater where there are is way more important than snowpack in my mind. I know what did that's you something say, else Art? people would disagree with me. Art, I what, said did the, you, what do you... I said the groundwater... Charging the groundwater is way more important to stream flow than snowpack. Snowpack just uh, increases stream flow in June and July and maybe May, and then it all melts. Zach, what is your thinking on that? Uh, You've been out there in the world. You've been hiking, and you've been around. Um, They always, for some reason, well, we didn't get enough snow this winter, Mm -hmm. but there's we have those aquifers that are there, and they were there before the groundwater, you know, uh, that water came to the surface. In other words, the aquifer filled below, and here comes this water at the top, fresh water at the top, and the lowest point goes down. Now we call it an ocean in times. But what, what is your thinking about that? Uh, have you noticed the soil out there and what is happening to the tree bark and, and, and the, um, the smell? Uh, well, I could just go by the smell of where you're hiking, whether you smell dry or it smells like uh, the moisture in the air. What have you been learning? 
Sure. Well, um, you know, a lot of what you're talking about is is stuff that I uh, that I've been writing about. Um, uh, as far as uh, the snowpack decline in the Cascades has been uh, was a major focus for us last winter, um, and I've also covered uh, groundwater in the Cascade Range uh, specifically, and it's it's a fascinating um, system because. Back, I hate to interrupt you yeah. for a moment. We're going to take a break. It's the only one I do. And then we're going to come back, and you're going to explain that to us. And uh, we're going to kind of understand what is happening out there with the waters and, and, and where you've, what you've been learning. We're going to listen. Don't you two go anywhere. We'll be right back. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, with just a mist. And by the way, I've had people on the ski slopes using Nature's Tears Eye Mist. I had a doctor call me from a ski lift and say, my gosh, Sharon, this stuff is unbelievable when it's this cold and for my lips. I've had people all around the world say it's a different ways to use it other than just thinking at the moment my eyes are d- so dry I can hardly open them. But it is the only product like it in the world for it's sitting by the computer for fatigue. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, the supplement to the eyes that are 99% water with a tissue culture grade water with just a mist. We'll listen to our sponsor and we'll be right back and listen to what Jack and Art have to say about the water. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Back before we took our moment that break, you were starting to tell us about what you've been writing more about is the waters. Yeah, and um, so uh, what got me interested in this topic was really last winter, um, and as you know, you and your uh, listeners probably know, I mean, it was a really bad one uh, for uh, snowpack. Um, you know, Mount Ashland ski area couldn't open for the first time in its history, and even up here, um, Hoodoo ski area, uh, which is the second longest operating ski area in the state, had its latest opening uh, since 1938. It is fourth uh, shortest season, and it was just really sad to watch because, you know, everyone would get really excited because the snow was going to come in the forecast. They are going to be able to open, you know, the ski area, and then it would fall as rain. Um, and, I mean, it, it became kind of a dark comedy because, I mean, there was a huge lake that had formed in the ski bowl. Um, they called it Lake Hoodoo, and the skiers would bring up their canoes and paddle around in it in the middle of February. 
Um, but it was it was really bad. I mean, you know, there's people who count on that for jobs. Uh-huh. Uh, and the area it's located, uh, Sanium Pass, is really a popular area for winter recreation. There's a lot of snow parks. Uh, there's access to the <laughs> Summer Cross Trail. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, it, you know, it was just, it was a rough one. And so uh, what now, I... Now, can I back you up? And yeah. I, 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 we talk shows interrupt. Only reason I do is when you've said something, I'm going to go back mm-hmm. and, 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 and understand. So I don't forget. Did you say that, that there was a, 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 the lake had formed with more water and that people were using the lake to go uh, canoeing and boating yes. because the snow wasn't there, but there was more water in the lake? Yeah, the, the, the snow had, uh, I mean, there was still snow on the mountains, but it, uh, right. it's, it's in a bowl, and so there was actually, it was falling as rain, and it had pooled into... Okay. Uh, a lake was formed where there wasn't one before. Yeah, yeah. Right, oh, my God. Right in the middle of a ski area, and if, you, you know, <laughs> you know, if you're operating in a ski area, you don't want Back to bring it up. Because I, I'm a 72-year-old woman that gets excited about water. Sure. <laughs> Now, now I, I can hardly wait to go to Jungfrau in Switzerland and, and, and ski down that slope and hold my knees just right and not fall down. But yeah. I, I, um, I don't have time to go skiing. But So there was never a lake there before, but uh, do you think it's still there? No, no. I mean, it would, it forms once, it would form once in a while when, um, in the middle of winter when they would get more rain uh, okay. than, than snow. So it, it did happen once in a while, but they had never had one, uh, a lake that, uh-huh. it, they had never, they called it uh, Lake Hoodoo, and it had never been okay. that large. Um, <laughs> But what what that kind of got us thinking about uh, was because it did, you know, impact the economy up here was kind of to look at long term whether this is this winter was normal or not or kind of what's been what's been going over going on over the years. And so I uh, working with Oregon State University pretty closely, um, you know. I kind of got into looking at snow uh, in the Cascade Range, and I mean, I could talk about that for a long time, um, but, uh, you know, is, is that something? Go ahead and tell us a little bit in Oregon's Cascade Range about what you've been observing. That is very important, because, Zach, around the world, mm-hmm. we have a little bit in common, uh, everything has a little bit in common. Mm-hmm. We're all searching for the water. Mm-hmm. We're all searching for that moisture in the air. Because as you heard at the beginning of the show, it's the moisture in the air, Zach, that keeps mm-hmm. you alive. Yeah. Everything alive. Yeah. Without that water vapor in the air. Mm-hmm. And, and, to, and I'm a technology. Uh, uh, my whole world is studying the technology of what we could do to support what is not happening at the moment until it happens whenever time. Technology is exciting uh, in life from the beginning of time. In fact, I've had Andrew Sherman on here who wrote the book Harvesting Intangibles uh, to Become IP Values and Intellectual Property Technology Values. Mm-hmm. He was saying how the water was the first technology of all world. If you talk about the invention of a word called technology. Mm-hmm. And, and so when you're out there and you're observing, uh, don't hesitate to think, you know, I'm wondering about another technology that could encourage and uh, uh, another way to enjoy the outdoors when there isn't enough snowpack or something isn't, you know, there is so much to learn. Yeah. And, and you're out there with your feet on the ground, both of you, you're learning with your foot on the ground. You're touching that, those trees. You're touching those bushes. You're touching that soil. And there's, you'll be learning things that people aren't learning. And this is why uh, today I was excited about the show because... 
when you're out there in an area of the most beautiful place on earth, you can find a more beautiful place on earth than Southern, Cali- Southern Oregon and Northern California and up there where you're at in Oregon too, Zach. Mm-hmm. There's, there's so much beauty, but we all depend upon water. Mm-hmm. And we depend upon a healthy atmosphere. So back to what was happening then. So now you've started walk, writing more about water. What, what, what have you been learning now for yourself and, and to, con- to continue? Now quit writing about it. Yeah, sure. And so the, the first thing that I, I did was step back a bit. And, you know, I looked at a study by uh, Oregon State University that said uh, between 1901 and 2012, the annual mean temperature in the Pacific Northwest increased by 1.3 degrees. Um, it's been the quickest since 1970, and the hottest period was 1998 to 2007. And, and you know, that 1.3 degrees doesn't seem like a lot, um, but we wanted to know kind of how it was impacting the mountains. Um, and it turns out it kind of moves, it changes the season and the, and the area, and, you know, it moves the snow line about 600 feet up the mountain, um, and it kind of lengthens the snow-free freeze period by two to three weeks. Uh, which is all kinds of, of strange and kind of unanticipated uh, consequences. Um, the, the snowpack uh, around Sanium Pass has declined by about half um, since 1941, and that just means, you know, there's less, you know, th- there's less uh, winter recreation, and it's tougher for a place like Hudu Ski Area. Uh, but in the summer, that lack of snow sticking around also means increased chance for uh, forest fires. And we've seen a ton of wildfires in the Mount Jefferson and Sanium Pass area over the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also meant better conditions for uh, species like the mountain pine beetle, um, which can mm-hmm. you know, destroy logical pine and pine uh, forests. Um, and it's also meant you know, really interesting changes. Uh, there's a famous alpine meadow called uh, Jefferson Park. You know, it's really beautiful. It's right below Mount Jefferson. It's a place people come from <clears throat> all over the world to backpack into. And In there, it's gorgeous. Yeah, and it's uh, gradually the the meadows are actually disappearing uh, because the trees have a longer growing season, and they're able to, they call it a tree invasion. It's the the trees are actually filling in the the meadows uh, that were there because they have a longer growing period, better conditions, um, and so there's all kinds of quirky uh, things uh, that that happen when you take something like snow uh, out of the equation for the forest. Mm-hmm. Very fascinating. Now, what about the mountain streams, uh, the winter streams, and then the year-round streams? Did you notice any changes in that, either one of you? Sure. Well, uh, I guess one thing that, that sticks out, and, you know, I had a, a researcher uh, say that, you know, the, the Cascade Range, especially the high Cascades, the really young Cascades, were a geologic gift um, because even though there is that snowpack decline, uh, because the, the rock is so porous, um, you know, it can take, the precipitation hasn't changed much uh, at all. It's just the temperature. And so it can take that rain and, and it stores it, um, you, know, in, you know, just like you guys were talking about in the aquifers below the mountains. And in fact, he said that there's, in, within Oregon, there's uh, 7.5 trillion gallons of fresh water um, that, you know, filters that water for up to seven years and then releases it into, into rivers like the Rogue, uh, the Mackenzie, the Umpqua, the Klamath. And, you know, as a, as a kayaker, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a really enthusiastic kayaker. That's important to me. And you notice that because 
the cascade streams uh, that I just mentioned, you know, you can, you can paddle those year-round. Now, they have, mm-hmm. you know, help from Lost Creek Dam and Reservoir sometimes, but they have that consistent flow, whereas, you know, a, a river in a different mountain system like the Siskiyou's, uh, when you take, like, the Illinois River, for example, you know, it's, it's bone dry. I mean, it's basically gone by the time you're into August because it doesn't have... Uh, that storage capacity that the, Can I interject that the something cascade. that would explain the Shasta River still having a lot of water in it? Mm-hmm. I said that would explain the Shasta River having lots of water in it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, has, it drains Mount Shasta, which is full of glaciers and it's a big volcano. And okay. The Scott, uh, which doesn't come off of Mount Shasta, comes out of the Siskiyous. So mm-hmm. I would say it would probably be much more affected. Yeah, and it, it's really. It's so okay. fascinating how, how, how geology, uh, you know, yeah. can play a role that we, we can't even see, um, but is, is sort of always happening. Well, the life, the, the, the life is there. Yeah. It, um, everything is a living. Everything is a life. And now, uh, Zach, I, I have a spot here where I became very, my, just for years, I was really worried about California. And then when they turned off that canal to, for the irrigation, and I had somebody who was behind that being turned off for that little fish. And I asked him, I said, what about the soil as a species and the aquifers below there is a living life of species? What did you, how do you think that's going to be replenished so the soil doesn't turn to sand? The microorganism of the sand, of sand is not as healthy as soil. And then the, the aquifers below there began to diminish, and they didn't know how to answer it, Zach, mm-hmm. because the, you, the, everything needs water, but the, and the fresh water on the earth influences the atmosphere's water vapor. The water vapor in the air influences fresh water, and that all influences the uh, uh, climate changing. Mm-hmm. See, did you follow me where, see, if there's not enough fresh water on the surface of the planet... Mm-hmm. as there should be to balance out the eco-balancing, mm-hmm. that, that that influences the atmosphere of moisture, vapor, and the air. The vapor and the air influences the fresh water, and they in, together influence climate. Yeah. Did, you, did I make sense for you? Oh, yeah, yeah. All right, okay. So the concerns is my research for 30 years has been, okay, we have a severe impact on human life, dehydration. These diseases are out of control. Every day, somebody's got something. What's happening? And, and we're, but we're with med- modern medicine, we're going in and creating a postage stamp, but it, then in our life of Earth, the life of the planet Earth depends upon us humans to assist it in a way that is not going to go one extreme or the other. We want to always be flexible at a balancing act, but we also, because we we have the ability to have a technical side of us, is if that we we need to do something here so we don't lose the balancing effect that Earth needs to have to exist forever. Mm-hmm. And Zach, one time I had a scientist on here, he said, Sharon, I don't think that word eternity is going to be with us. And I said, well, I'm going to change that. (laughs) Because education, Zach, it's like having you both on here today with the book you wrote, that you're both very passionate. You're both very into not just writing a book about going out on a hike and enjoying a hike, but teaching your audience of your book, your readers, 
what, why you, this is so important. Even if you have, live in a country around the world and you may never get to Southern Oregon or to, to really uh, experience that hike, they could buy it and enjoy reading it as if they're experiencing it with the words that are written and feel it because they're learning more about a geographic location that they might not get to someday. Yeah. And share it with you with what your passions are and your commitments. Now, on the water side of it, on those streams and those aquifers, people, Zach and Art, are always surprised when you say, well, you climbed the top of that mountain. Have you ever noticed... There's no snow up there, but there's still a creek. And they said, yeah. Did you know that was an aquifer influence? Oh. See, there's a lack of education. Mm-hmm. People, and one of, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no. I just, I, you know, you, you got me thinking about, you know, uh, being able to take a hike and then sort of learn something about it. And, and one of the hikes in our book uh, takes you to uh, Boundary Springs. And, uh, oh. and Boundary Springs is, is a magical place. And, I mean, now, I tell them where Boundary Springs is at. Well, it's right on the border of uh, the Crater Lake National Park, um, and you can you can get there right off of uh, what is it? It's Highway uh, 230, uh, correct? 230, yeah. yeah, and it's it's just a hike that takes you uh, to the headwaters of the Rogue River, and it's it's just a magical place because you can see that geology in action. Um, you right. can see those springs in action because you know you hike up there. It can be it can be the middle of August. And the water isn't coming out of there at a trickle. Um, you know, it's a, it's a two-mile hike, I think. Yes. And, you know, it's, it's gushing out of there. And that, that water, I mean, you know, put your hands in it and drink it. I mean, that's, that water is cold. It's cold. cold yeah, just, there's actually it's, three springs. Right yeah. Anything cold. Yeah, you know, it's, it's just... It's the source of the, of the Rogue River. Uh, you know, I have to tell you both one. A few years ago... Uh, my husband and I went up to Crater Lake, and we were on our way back, and I said, Bill, pull off. And it's something I always wanted to do. And there was a, quite a few people there at that spot. But I went over there and sat down on the edge and put, put my feet in it. And it was cold, but it was worth it. I, it just made you feel alive. Yeah. There was something about the energy. I, I don't know if people thought I was going to jump in because it's so gushing. But um, it was just absolutely it, do it sometime. Um, that, uh, maybe Zach, or that's why all my life, I, I would swim. Zach, you won't believe this. Um, I used to swim through the rapids on the edge, not through the middle. My oh. parents were frightened. Uh, we'd go. My parents were fly fishermen, and uh, they'd go to the river, and, and they'd be noticing I'm over here in an area swimming across the river when I shouldn't have been. And uh, so I've always had to touch it. <laughs> but back to where you're at in the book. And so you were able to, to express in the book a lot of things that maybe a lot of hiking books don't do, Zach. Uh, uh, you added some new approaches maybe that people might find very fascinating if they can't go on the hike to be able to read about it. Is that, am I right? Sure. I mean, we try, you know, and, and I, I get emails from people a lot who are, who are just, you know, they maybe because of physical limitations or, you know, a lack of time, you know, aren't able to go to some of these really, you know, especially the, the remote places that, you know, you got to hike, mm-hmm. you know, up a mountain, over a pass and down right. into, and, you know, they're, they're not able to do it physically, but, you know, if you take good enough pictures and you do a good enough job of describing what's there, what it right. smells like, what you see, uh, then, you know, you can, you can create that experience. And, you know, I, I really, Really love doing that. That's one of my favorite uh, parts. Now, who took the job. pictures in the book? 
Well, I, I took most of them. Um, Art's, uh, Lynn, Lynn Bernstein, Art's uh, wife, also took some, some excellent photos. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's part, part I of my... I know you have a lot of pictures, and that is so important to me uh, for people to be fascinated. And, and when you're being or wanting to learn something, uh, pictures add something, don't they? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's a major part of, of my job. I mean, if I'm not taking good pictures, um, it just people don't get into the story. And it's just that, you know, the pictures are, you know, I, as a writer, I don't like to say that they're worth a thousand words, but, uh, you know, they really, they really bring. Oh, they are, though. They add an algorithm to your emotions mm-hmm. of the book. Um, and the photos now, in the book are... We've only got two minutes left, so both of you try to tell me what we haven't touched on that you want to make sure that we've touched on before we're done. Yeah, go ahead, Art. Oh, I'm good. I was on three weeks ago, so I said everything. (laughs) Well, Zach, do you want to uh, say something that we haven't touched on that you thought was so important to the book for people to know? I I guess the the really cool thing about the book and the thing that I always tell people about it is it brings you into a a huge diversity of landscapes. Um, I mean, like I said, you can go to, you know, this, you know, barren, you know, desert canyon that's got all this great, you know, colorful rock. And then you can go, you know, hike around, you know, the deepest uh, lake in the United States in Crater Lake. Um, Then you can go into these wild remote areas like the Red Buttes Wilderness where, you know, you're probably not going to run into anybody else out there. You're going to think you're going to run into Bigfoot before you run into another person. (laughs) And, and, I mean, we bring you all the way out to the, you know, the Boardman Scenic Corridor, these really spectacular uh, Oregon Mm -hmm. coast hikes. And then, you know, finish off with probably the most spectacular thing in the world, and that's the, the Redwoods. Um, wow, yeah. You know, so I just, I, I like to encourage well, people you. to... Thank you. Thank you so much, both of you. And Art, thank you for introducing us to Zach. Thank you, oh, Zach, sure. for what you're doing. And your heart is in it, and your passion, and don't back off. Continue. And uh, sometime, I'm hoping you grab on to a hiking book that talks about nutrition and the um, atmosphere and all that for people to go out and enjoy their lives in, in nature. Well, thanks so much, Sharon. Yeah, we wish you well, Zach. I know you're doing well. Thank you. And Art, thank you again for, uh, for what well. you're doing. Thank you you have well. a nice day and be well, both of you. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Wonderful. Wow. I really enjoyed every minute of that. Art Bernstein has been writing books for many, many years, and he's been my full-time writer for many years. That's what I do here at the Research Center, and then he's now introduced us to Zach Ernest. And Zach is Z-A-C-H-U-R-N-E-S-S, and they wrote this book that is absolutely a fabulous book, about nature and, and their passion for hiking and, and touching the soil and taking the hike and, and uh, touching those trees. And, and here in Southern Oregon and Northern California, that is, one time years ago, I was interviewing the U.S. Forest Service here local in Southern Oregon, and I said, you sure like living here and studying here? And they said, yes. There's so many geological wonders here, right here in the southern Oregon area that they cannot get any answers definite to about the changes that were going on with the planet at the time, like the Ice Age and the different stages of our planet's life as a life. Remember, we started with water, the power of water, and where we're at today. Always remember this, that the power of water is your life, and I'm hoping you join me 
with my uh, Facebook and Twitter and get the world out there wanting to learn more about the crisis of water. And it is a crisis. It is a crisis. But with, with better education, we're all going to become water advocates. Type in wa- freshwater crisis water advocate and see where you go from there and come and join me. Embrace your life, every special moment, our planet Earth and the power of water in somebody else's life. Earth is whispering. Never say goodbye. Leave something for all those generations of children to come. You have a nice day and be well. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel with an encore Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com. 